you have your Bibles, I ask you to go ahead and turn to Hebrews 10. We'll be camping in verses 19 through 25 this morning. That should be on page 1007 if you're using the Bibles under your seats. Well, I don't know if you knew this, but today is New Year's Eve. Maybe you caught the memo. So that doesn't mean you just survived 2023. It means the, the gym memberships are about to get renewed. The Bible reading plans are going to get dusted off for some of us. We're going to commit to eating better in 24, maybe drinking more water. That could apply to me. And all those are really good things. But are they the most important thing for us as we look at the year to come? Fortunately for us, our text this morning gives us as a church some clarity on this issue of setting priorities for the new year. So with that in mind, let me give you the the main idea of both the text and the sermon so you know exactly what it is, kind of where we're going. So it's our worship theme with the addition of one word. So here it is. Here's the main idea of this whole thing. The promises of the gospel must shape our priorities in 2024. We'll say it again. The promises of the gospel must shape our priorities in 2024. For your priorities to change, for my priorities to change, we must personally respond to the truth of God's word. No one can do it for us. Now, before we get into the text, and we have a good one, uh, let me somewhat warn you, our passage is going to be both, I think, really encouraging to you, uh, but let me be frank, it is fairly direct at times. So I want to be upfront about that. I don't want to hide that. I don't want that to be a surprise. So my job this morning uh, is somewhat complex, complicated. I have the, uh, the privilege of trying to convey the love of Christ, but I also have to be faithful to what is here. So you can pray for me in that, that by, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I can kind of thread the needle on this. I do need help there. So let's look at our text. We've got a good one. Again, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, and I'll be reading from the ESV. It reads, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our excuse me, the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's word. Now, the structure of our passage is fairly straightforward. You may even have picked up on uh, some of it as I read. So our passage today starts with the word therefore. That anchors it in the previous section of Hebrews, which we'll kind of unpack as we get into our specific gospel promises today. And then it jumps right into our two gospel promises in verse 19 and 21. Do you see the words since we have in those verses? Those are our promises. Then in verse 22, he shifts to his three timeless priorities. You can see that by the exhortation, let us, in verses 22, 23, and 24. So that's our sermon, right? Pretty straightforward. No, actually, there's a lot going on. So strap in. We've got a lot to cover. We'll jump right into it. So gospel promises for 2024. We're in verses 19 through 21 here. 
Look at verse 19 again with me. As I stated, it begins with the word, therefore. Have you ever heard of uh, the idea of a word being pregnant with meaning? You ever heard that? Well, this is a very pregnant word, and it's a big baby, okay? This is not a little cute seven-pound baby here. Oh, and speaking of babies, that's what the author of Hebrews called this church back in chapter 5. He said they're a bunch of spiritual babies. Not a compliment. Told you he was direct, okay? He goes on for the next five chapters preceding our text today to explain how Jesus, after the ascension, fulfilled the entire sacrificial system in the Old Testament. You know, the one that Leviticus talks about. You know, the one that has probably torpedoed all of our Bible reading plans at one point or another for those of us who have tried to do one. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Jesus is our perfect eternal high priest. Through Jesus, we are brought into a perfect covenant relationship with God. That's a very quick summary of five chapters. And we're going to look more closely at it as we unpack these promises based on these chapters. Now, before we even get any further, let me stop. I'm one word in. (laughs) Let's just stop right there for a second. I'm curious, what would the author of Hebrews think of our church? Are we a church that understands the priestly ministry of Jesus that he currently has? If we do, does it make any difference in our lives? If not, according to the author of Hebrews, we too would be spiritual babies. We need to acknowledge this so we can move forward as a church. Jesus' ministry did not stop at the cross and the empty tomb. He has not just been chilling in heaven for the last 2,000 years. And oh, by the way, his return is imminent. This is the full gospel, a full biblical narrative of the gospel. Creation, fall, redemption, which includes his death and resurrection, his ascension, and his priestly ministry right now and then restoration when he comes back. Anything else is a truncated gospel that will leave you spiritually anemic and apathetic. And this was one of the problems of this church. If you don't believe me, let's look at our text. All right, the next word, brothers. And I promise we're not going to go word by word through this. We'll be here all night. But, but this is important to kind of flesh out here. He's addressing them as a family. Jews, Gentiles, different socioeconomic classes, different stages of life. In Christ, they are a family. So are we. And oh, by the way, it's not a second-tier family. This is a family brought about by the blood of Christ. One time when asked about his mother and brothers, Jesus replied, Here is my mother, and here are my brothers. And he was referring to his disciples. His point was clear. Our biological family is of our own bloodline, and it is very important, but it's not most important. Remember this. It'll come up later in our text. And this brings me to our first promise straight out of the text. So promise number one for 2024 for you and for us as a church. You have confidence to approach God. You have confidence to approach God. Verse 19. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus and by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. How many of us can say that sitting here today? You feel a great sense of confidence in approaching the throne of God in prayer. You are confident in taking to God the Father all your deepest, darkest struggles, fears, Sins, desires, 
both good and bad. Can you honestly say that? Maybe you've sat with a member of this church recently who's struggling with a lack of confidence in their faith, a lack of confidence in approaching God. How do we deal with each other in this? How do we encourage each other in this? I think for most of us, we're prone to lead with sympathy and love, and those are good things. But based on the text that Jonathan just read for us in Hebrews 3, is did that call us to have sympathy on one another? It didn't. It called us to exhort one another. That is, challenge, encourage, remind them of God's promises. We need to be a church that tells each other the truth in love. For example, if you are in Christ, you have confidence to approach him. Like the gifts that were given to you just days ago at Christmas, those gifts are now yours. So is confidence to enter the very dwelling place of God a gift to you. It's not something you feel. It's something that Christ accomplished and granted to you the moment of your salvation. Whether you use the gift or not is totally up to you. There's a very awkward inclusion uh, on the next page of your Bible in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. It's, if you just read it, you probably burn through it and may not even notice it. Is anyone else surprised to see Samson mentioned in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11? I know I was. The first time I really studied this, I was like, why is he there? Samson was a violent, lustful, indulgent warrior in the book of Judges that God used to destroy the enemies of Israel. In fact, that's what led to his demise. At the end of his life that had been filled with death, destruction, and prostitutes, he finds himself strung between two pillars as the main attraction of a feast of his enemies. His eyes have been violently gouged out. He's bleeding all over himself. He can hear the laughter of his enemies, the gawking of their wives over his naked body. He's reaping the consequences of his sin, and he knows it. God's spirit has left him. He is weak. He's a helpless prisoner who's about to die like an animal. Sounds pretty hopeless. I think I would feel pretty hopeless in that situation. But then he does something remarkable. This fool has the audacity to call on the name of the Lord because of God's promise to his mother that Samson would save the nation of Israel from the Philistines. Wow. You want to talk about confidence. And we know the rest of the story. God answers his prayer. Samson levels the building, killing himself and the Philistines present. Samson is a champion of faith because he had confidence, not in himself, but in God's promises. How much more should we have confidence in approaching God today? We're on this side of the cross and the empty tomb. We're on this side of the blood of Jesus being shed to satisfy God's wrath for us. We're on this side of the curtain to the Holy of Holies being torn to show that no longer there would be a barrier between God and his people. Jesus accomplished all this for us. He said, I am the way. And the way to God is now permanently open for you, believer. Regardless of how you feel, take heart. You have confidence to approach God. He promised. This leads me to our second promise. You have a great high priest. You have a great high priest. Verse 21. 
And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. As I alluded to in the beginning, this church in Hebrews did not understand the significance of the priesthood of Christ. They had to be reminded that the priesthood of Christ is not just factual. It's a promise to cling to. Believer, you have a great high priest who is praying for you, who is singing over you, who has compassion for you, who can sympathize with you in any of life's circumstances, and he will never abandon you. I wish I'd understood this early in my walk. For too long, I lived under the lie that with each new sin, I was crucifying Christ all over again. If you are in Christ, that is not true. The perfect sacrifice of Jesus paid for my sin past, present, and future. And when he entered the throne room of God, he sat down because his sacrificial ministry was done. He will never stand up again until he returns to claim his bride, the church. We have a most merciful, loving, compassionate, great high priest who will never grow tired of interceding for us, that is, praying for us, and nothing gives him greater joy. He promised. May we cling to this promise together in the new year. To give an illustration here, for those who are familiar with it, the second bestseller of all time, Pilgrim's Progress, illustrates this idea of taking hold of God's promises beautifully. In the story, two of the main characters, Christian and Hopeful, find themselves trapped in Doubting Castle by a giant named Despair. Maybe you know him. All hope seems lost after days of being trapped in the castle. Then one morning, Christian remembers the key had left a key called Promise in his pocket. The key opened all the locks in Doubting Castle, and they were able to continue on their journey to the celestial city. I hope you realize this is not just some cute children's story. That's what I used to think. This was written by a man named John Bunyan while he was in prison for 12 years for refusing to stop preaching the gospel. As a result, he was unable to see his wife and children, one of whom was special needs, by the way, for over a decade. Do you think John knew something firsthand of being trapped by despair in Doubting Castle over that period of time? I assure you he did. He knew firsthand the stench of despair's breath. He knew the sound of despair's heavy footsteps roaming his prison cell. He knew the full weight of despair's heavy hands pressing on his chest, making it difficult for him to breathe. Bunyan knew this villain personally. That's how he was able to describe him so well. So how do you think he got out of his own doubting castle? By clinging to God's promises. The same thing we're called to do. So what do we do with these promises as a church? How do we apply them to our own lives? Well, the shorter answer is together. We apply them together as a church. This church in Hebrews needed to be reminded of the promises of God so that together they could survive the challenges they were experiencing. We're no different. We must apply these promises together. The church is like a community garden in a sense. We're meant to plant cultivate and harvest these beautiful gospel promises together and then take them home individually to be the majestic centerpieces on the dining room tables of our own lives. That's how this works. God never intended this to be a solo effort. This brings us to the second part of our text, gospel-shaped priorities for 2024. 
Look with me at verse 22, and you'll see the first priority begins with let us. So these priorities can be summarized by the Christian hallmarks of faith, hope, and love. Each of them is a family endeavor where dependency on the flock is assumed and an identity in Christ is shared. So this leads me to our first priority. First priority, the main priority God has for you, for our church in 2024, right out of the text. His number one priority is for us to draw near to him in faith. Draw near to God in faith. Verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Isn't that amazing? The most important priority that is laid out for us is to respond to the very promises that he just gave us. Based on these promises that we have confidence and we have a great high priest, we are commanded, not suggested, commanded to draw near to him in faith. One commentator stated that an appropriate translation of let us in these priorities would be we must, therefore. That's God's desire for you in 2024 and for me. We must move towards him in faith. It's been said that the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. You've probably heard that. Well, that's true for these gospel promises. If we do not respond in actionable faith, they will merely harden our hearts. And while your faith is personal, friend, it's never meant to be private. Your faith and my faith are meant to be lived out in the community of the local church. Now, look at the second half of verse 22 with me. The author uses language of cleaning. So most commentators think that this is echoing the promise of Ezekiel 36 in the Old Testament, where God says there, I will make you clean. God promised over 2,500 years ago, his people will be clean. Jesus, our great high priest, has accomplished this. So we have a responsibility to draw near to God, not with religious hearts, but hearts that are true, loyal, undivided, and have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. This does not convey perfection in any way. These are hearts that are quick to confess sin and cling solely to the promises bought by the blood of Christ through faith. Hearts that have no confidence in themselves, but hearts that are full of confidence in Christ to save them. We need each other to draw near and to stay near to Christ in the year to come. Specifically, husbands, husbands, the language of cleaning and washing in verse 22 correlates to a direct responsibility that God has entrusted to us. Did you know that? Look at Ephesians 5 quickly, and then we'll come back to our text. Ephesians 5. You know, every Christian husband I've ever met <clears throat> is familiar with Ephesians 5.25. Most can probably recite it. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Right? A beautiful call for the husband to self-sacrifice for his bride. 
just as Christ did for the church. I've never met a Christian man who wasn't at least familiar with that. But what's the primary motivation for the sacrifice? Verse 26. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Husbands, the call to sacrifice is not so your wife can be endlessly happy. It's not so she can be Frederick County Mom of the Year for the sixth year in a row. Both of those would be great things, but they're not the priority. God's priority for her is her sanctification, which is a growing in Christ-likeness that is the result of drawing near to him. That is God's priority for her in the year to come. And for your children, mom will have an awesome responsibility in this for your family. I'm not minimizing that, but let's not get it twisted. Fathers, husbands, you and I are responsible for ensuring our families are being washed by the word regularly. This should happen at home and it should happen here. God does not intend you to do this solely on your own. Your family needs the church to help in this. So make it a priority not just to be on the fringes of this church in 2024. Jump in. If you're not a member, seriously consider joining this church so you can be under the watchful care of the shepherds we have here. Lead your family in this, brothers. With God's help and with the help of the other men in this church, you can help your family draw near in 2024. This leads me to our second priority. Our second priority, hold fast to our hope in Christ. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So first we're to draw near. Now we're to hold fast. The idea here is literally a chaining yourself to a position so you can't move. So picture uh, Ulysses in Homer's Odyssey who ties himself to the mast of the ship. Most of us are probably familiar with that story. So he can't then steer the ship towards the sirens who are singing their bewitching song, right? Hold fast. As a church, hold fast. I am so grateful for this church and the commitment we have to holding fast in our confession of and commitment to the gospel. And this is right because apart from this unapologetic resolve, we would waver. Don't kid yourself. Many churches have. Churches that have started well have wavered. So let's resolve again as a church in 2024. We will cling to Christ and we will cling to his full gospel, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And we will cling to the fact that even though at times we are not faithful, as it says in the verse, he is faithful. Now, the greatest challenge to this second priority is one that's unseen. It's our identity. You know, confessing gospel truth is honestly really easy. Um, anyone can pick up reformed language and parrot it back to you if they spend enough time in our circle. But having it take root in your heart is much harder. Together, we must hold fast to Jesus as our identity. He alone is our hope in life and death, as we sang. If we don't, something else will become your identity. 
Moms, it will become your kids. Dads, it will become your jobs, your title, your money, whatever it is for you. Single people, it will become your relationship status, again, or whatever it is. This will happen. And the fight is real. It's real in my life. Now, I don't love using military quotes. Being a veteran, it's awkward to me. But there's a famous one from World War I that kind of fits this, so I am going to use it, so just indulge me. There was an American officer in World War I named Clifton Bates. Uh, Clifton Bates, his unit had suffered tremendous casualties in battle. He was the commander. And then he received the overwhelming order to hold his position. His response that has lived on for more than 100 years was this. He said, I have only two out of my company. He probably had 70. And now I have 20 out of some other company. He said, we need support, but it is almost suicide to try and get it. I have no one to my left and only a few to my right. I will hold. That's us. That's us. The few in the trench, church. That's us. We're the few in the trenches of life together with Christ as our captain, and we need each other to hold fast. So here's what I think this could look like at WinBAP. This looks like you, not just the elders, not just Tim, Jonathan, Caleb, Zach, you, members, and me, searching out the tired, the lonely, the depressed in this church and move towards them. This is going to cost you your time. It will be inconvenient. Count on it. Just check the box now. That will happen. But as members, we promised, our third members promise, we said we will walk together in love as becomes the members of a Christian church, exercising affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully admonishing one another when required. You promised. You promised. I promised. And you can't do this by always waiting on someone else to move towards you. So move towards each other in Christ this year. Get here early. Stay after the service if you can. Get to know your church family. Invite them over. It doesn't have to be fancy. You can get a thing of Briar's ice cream and put on a pot of coffee for like $10. It doesn't have to be fancy. Just spend time with them. Help them hold fast. Remind them that Christ is their identity. Remind them he will never leave or forsake us, and his heart is always set on us. He promised, so hold fast together. This leads us to our third priority for the new year. Our third priority. We are to consider how to compel our church to love of God and others. Consider how to compel our church to love God and others. Verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now, <clears throat> this verse is, was one of, my, uh, one of the most interesting parts of preparing this. The word consider has a lot more going on than I initially anticipated. I just kind of read it the first time and moved on. There's a lot more going on. The same word is used later in Hebrews to describe Abraham as he's walking for three days and preparing to sacrifice his son Isaac. Abraham is walking the razor's edge 
between faith and insanity for the three days that he's walking as he's trying to mentally wrestle this thing out. His mind is spinning. He's able to rest in the promise that God gave him somehow that Isaac, uh, his long-awaited son, uh, who was given to him as a nine-year-old couple, if God can give him to him at that point, then surely he can bring him back from the dead. But that's the idea of considering. Now, I don't know if you've ever had to consider something as deeply as Abraham did for those three days. I don't know if I've ever had to consider something at that depth, all-consuming for three days. But that's what we're called to. A constant, perpetual considering of how we can inspire one another to live out our faith. To take risks for the gospel. To sacrifice for one another. And it must be pretty important if we're called to continually do this. Not just a one-time passing, check the box, I did something for someone and I move on about my day. No, this is meant to be an all-consuming, a way of life. So what does this look like? Well, let's start with what it doesn't look like, because that's what the text does. Verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Church, it is literally impossible for us to love one another and compel one another to love and good works if we're not here on a Sunday morning. It's impossible. You cannot live out our covenant promises if you're not here. So I've got to ask at this point, is you being here your highest priority on the weekend? Honestly. If you are in Christ, then it must be. If you can't do that at this church, in all honesty, Please find a different church where you can. Join that one. This is that important. This is not a matter of freedom. It was a problem in the church in our passage, and based on the number of empty seats we've seen over the last two months, it's starting to become a problem here. Your Christian freedom does not give you the option to simply opt out on a Sunday morning for whatever reason you want. It doesn't. That's an American understanding of freedom. It's not a biblical one. Your freedom in Christ allows you to put to death sin, to draw near to God, and to love one another. That is true freedom. So am I saying you can't take a vacation? No, I'm not saying that. Am I saying you can never stay home because you're sick or your child's sick? No, Katie's home today because we had a child throwing up last night. Okay? But just as apathy was one of the problems for the church in Hebrews, I think it's beginning to become a problem here, and we need to acknowledge it. And if that's you, friend, lovingly, you're in sin, and you need to repent. You are wandering from the flock. Gathering is not a suggestion. It's a loving command. And we need to reprioritize our lives, if that's us. Not for fear of man. Who cares what I think, really? This should be in response to the love of God, a response to what Christ has done for us. This church is an embassy of the king, and these are his people. How can this not be a priority for us? Some of you at this point may be wondering, okay, so where's the line, right? When do I stay home? Well, luckily for me, that's not my job to tell you where the line is. I don't want any part of that. But I can tell you, based on the end of chapter 10, verses 32 through 34, you can look at that on your own, we know that this church in Hebrews had been under intense persecution. The author knew that, and the author's command was, do not neglect meeting together. 
And this command remains true for us. Now, looking back at our text, the author closes with a much-needed positive affirmation of why we are called to gather. It continues, So we may encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I don't know about you, but I need encouragement. I need this from you. My wife, who has three young children under the age of four at home, needs this from you, I assure you. We need this from each other. We need spiritual fountains in our church. These are people who are willing to speak life by speaking gospel promises into each other's lives. These are not people who just turn a blind eye to suffering. No, no. These are the people who will sit silently with you in the dust and ashes of your tragedy. And then, when it's appropriate, they will remind you of God's everlasting love, his faithfulness, and his sovereign purposes. I need that. We need that as a church. As we look at the second half of verse 25, we see that as our text began today, looking at the gospel, looking back at the person and work of Christ, it now ends with a looking forward to the future return of our great high priest, where he will once and for all gather his people together. And this gives us one more reason we are to gather in 2024. Gathering serves as a dress rehearsal for the return of Christ. It reminds us that Christ is coming back. It says to a lost world around us that he's coming back. It was important for the church to cling to Christ's promises 2,000 years ago. How much more should the gospel shape our priorities now, 2,000 years closer to the imminent return of Christ? May we draw near to our great high priest as a church in the year to come. In a few moments, we're going to close by singing There is a Fountain, which is one of my favorite hymns, and it is rich in gospel promises. But what you may not have known about the author is that uh, the man's name is William Cooper. This is a man who struggled mightily with manic depression throughout his entire life. God used his friend John Newton, the former slave trader, you may have heard of him, to repeatedly help Cooper cling to the promises of the gospel and shine light into the darkness of his life. As a result, Cooper was able to draw near in faith and pen some of the lyrically richest hymns we know today, including this one. So as you sing, remind yourself and each other of the promises of the gospel and celebrate that through these promises we can draw near to God together in the year to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather. We thank you for your word, which is living and active. And I pray right now that the promises of the gospel would find good soil in our own hearts. I pray that this church would be, we would compel each other in the year to come to draw near to you, to hold fast to you, and to love one another. Be merciful on us, Lord. Thank you for this church, and we thank you most of all for Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.